I just suck at sinking. <laughs> I can never I gotta, get when he gets there. It never I gotta gets synced. Grind, dude. I gotta grind podcasting hours. <laughs> that way you'll get the XP, and then you'll finally be able to sink on instinct. And then they'll respect me. And then finally they'll like the podcast. Hey, Abe, speaking of liking the podcast, <laughs> yeah, uh, I would like to tell the audience what happened to me not seven minutes ago. <laughs> seven? Right, seven yeah, minutes ago, I received, your, I received your outline. By the way, we write outlines for the show because uh, we do a little bit of research for it, obviously. I write, like, scripts. You do. So, I, like, I, you do. I, and I admire that. Which is hilarious because I'm like word salad still so yeah it's it's in your but it's the way you think it's it's a clear organization when you see it written it's like oh i see what you're what you're Mm -hmm. getting at uh anyway saying your brain don't work good (laughs) 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 very kind very kind very true uh yeah yeah yeah. so not seven minutes ago i got abe's outline and the title Mm -hmm. of it is uh and i Mm -hmm. laughed out loud age-old question is blast from the past demolition man (laughs) Good question. Uh, I have no idea what the fuck that means, but I was thrilled, like immediately thrilled <laughs> by that title. Uh, I hope you put it as the title of the episode because why not? Are you gonna? I mean, it, am I? I probably. I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do tomorrow. That's a long title. It yeah. was. I wrote it just kind of for you because I have to label it something. Well, I was thrilled. Uh, like, yeah, much more thrilled with the title than the movie you're going to discuss. If I, not to be negative, yeah, you didn't like this movie. I huh? didn't like this movie. No, and I think I might have seen it before. Like, it seems like the uh. kind of thing. That's <laughs> always a good sign. It seems like the kind of thing the Ganser family might have rented to like have a family night. Uh, although oh. it came out in '99, so I don't know for sure. I would have been around 18 or 19 at that point. Uh yeah, Blast from the Past is the movie Blast we're going to talk about past. today, which this is. This is definitely uh mm-hmm. now true of even this movie uh mm-hmm. that it is a blast from the past. But uh it it continues Abe's well-documented uh renaissance, uh his love affair with <laughs> Brendan Fraser. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You love him so much. You love him. What's not to like? He's he's. Uh, it's really clear to me when you watch his old movies why he had a big moment. Like yeah, you know he was very good for a, a while. Yeah, that late nineties. Yeah, that's, that's that's what I'm talking about. I'm kind of bummed that it. I feel like he could have had a longer go. Like I feel like he could have done ten more years in that spot, <clears throat> and I don't know why he did. Everyone the everyone in the world agrees with you. That's not a crazy opinion. No. No, so why is an obvious opinion? Yeah, yeah, I didn't think it was a hot take. Because life is a tragedy sometimes, my friend. (laughs) I mean, because sometimes you we don't get what we want. The world doesn't get what it wants. Yeah, isn't that exactly what uh, suffering singer of the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger, sings Mm. time to time? Mm -hmm. Uh, From time to time. (laughs) Hey, but for real though, uh, I also am enjoying this fat renaissance. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I'm loving this. Yeah. Like the big, the big giant Brendan Fraser gained weight and he doesn't care situation. Oh, yeah. I'm loving that. Are you? He, yeah, I mean, he's living his life, man. He gets to do what he wants. If you know, yeah. he's doing uh he's doing roles and stuff though. Doesn't yeah. he have like a movie coming out? Well, and he's he was got he was in that Soderbergh Doom Patrol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in Doom Patrol. He was in that Soderbergh noir joint. Uh-huh. Uh, it, he wasn't a, the main character in it, and I the name of it just flew out of my head. Maggie turned me on to it, and I really liked it. 
Uh, it was last year, and I'm looking it up as we speak. Uh, yeah, he's been doing some stuff. Yeah, he's got a little renaissance going. Yeah, well, I like I like what he's doing right now. I hope that he continues to do it. Uh, this, I mean, he's good. He's good. Yeah, and he's great. And like All this aside, this isn't a movie without him. I mean, it's not a movie. No, without him. he's yeah. the entire idea. No sudden move was the name of the movie that I was thinking of. Well, there you go. He's in it, and it, he's good in it. It's an unusual mm-hmm. role for him. So, uh, mm-hmm. so Abe, hey, how you doing, baby doll? This is Director Peace Theater. <laughs> I'm Abe. That was Adam. I was Adam. Yeah. I feel like we have to. It has to be on like the written record, or like, what is this? This is just t- like, what did you listen to today when you ran? Oh, just two meandering, a conversation between two meandering idiots. You know, like, I don't know. You got to put a title on That's it. That's true. That makes it official for me. They need names. <laughs> otherwise, it's every podcast. Uh, or, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Fuck it. <laughs> Nothing I don't know. Matters. I mean, what, I don't know. When you listen to My Favorite Murder, are you waiting for mm-hmm. them to introduce themselves so you know you're a murderino or not? I don't listen to podcasts, Adam. You know this. <laughs> I know it set you up for it. Uh, yeah, you just just out to just tarnish my good name with all, just just details about me. That's what you do. I, you just I say do do details that. about me. I do that to the world. I do that and let the world come to their own conclusions. Are we... And inevitably, is Abe is no good. That's what you're saying. That's what you do. To me. Are we referring to the fact that I brought up feed the chicken? Are we referring to that? Uh, God, God damn! I fumbled that. Let's not. That's inside baseball, dude. Look, we have we have crazy rich like lives. Yes, we do. <laughs> Everybody, we really do. Where there's like in jokes and stuff. Just believe me. But uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> you don't. You don't want to talk like about some, feed the chicken. You don't want to talk about that. Well, just just some random reference to us going to film school together, and I'm like here <laughs> describing it on a stream because like, hey, Abe, what's feed the chicken? Uh, yeah. Uh, Adam said, "Feed the chicken is something you can tell me about." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my god!" But you this loved is it. like an 18 tier story of like why. Like it's also like ultimately Not about you, you had to be there. Yes, moment. It really is. So that's accurate. So like, fuck you, man. Yeah, you're yeah. the greatest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I. Right. It's one of my favorite. Uh, stories to bring up that I know only you and I will have enjoyed it at the end. <laughs> yeah. But I love it for that reason. And yeah, no. anyway, blast from the past, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love you, buddy. Love you too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's get into it. Sure. God, stupid jobs, huh? Did you know that Blast from the Past came out like three months before The Mummy? Did you know that? That is shocking. L- legitimately shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Because I thought you liked that. I, yeah, because I think of the mummy as being like his second big role, and I keep forgetting. Oh no, he was in a bunch of yeah. movies after Encino Man and before oh, the yeah. Mummy. Oh yeah, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have like BC and AD, right? You know? Yes, yes. So where does this fall into the timeline? Uh, so I did an episode recently because you're wondering why may, maybe this title has Demolition Man. I I don't know. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I talked about, uh, in that episode, I talked about how the director used things like color, lens size, screen directionality, diagonal lines, stuff like that. Like real, real cool shit. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So cool. (laughs) But ultimately it was like, let's talk about how the filmmaking of these like sections of the film show the philosophies of two different worlds in the movie. And then it culminates into the blending of like this two worlds. And that last part is the key part 
when we have to mm-hmm. ask the question to ourselves as we inevitably do and we have to answer for our children is blast from the past demolition man uh <laughs> i also did a episode on the wedding singer it was the first episode we did and we talked yeah. about the yes. wardrobe department and set designers choosing colors for the romantic leads and then strategically placing them in scenes to represent their love kind of becoming a thing and that yeah. also was a culmination of the like blending of two colors or worlds so i i like when that happens it's like pretty simple movie thing right we're all aware of this trope uh and like yeah all three of these movies do the same thing uh but i never hear I never hear praise about craftsmanship for these movies. So these, this is like a, Hey, did you notice this? Or if you watch this and notice this, wow, these are not movies you think of when you think of like artistic film projects, but, uh, you know what? They, they're good. They did the work. Like the departments are very good. Um, Right. And I I mean, I think, I think these kinds (sighs) of topics are really great for people who, want to understand what the craft of directing is. You know what I mean? Yeah, Cuz like, like for instance I teach departments. Yeah. I teach directing in film school as you know and like this is the kind of thing that you could show a film student and they wouldn't have thought that anybody directed this movie like you know that it just sort of sprang ex nihilo just, to your screens. Yeah. And uh and then when you break wow. down sort of these things that are done, you know, like that uh, are easily retraceable if you like look for them, mm-hmm. they learn about directing. You know, mm-hmm. like th- that's what happens. So I, there's a lot of value to what you're doing. I'm excited about it. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about color. I'm going to talk about motion uh, in frame and like what frame edges mean, because I haven't really talked mm-hmm. about that sometimes and how like choices really affect the shot. Uh, and ultimately, just like shot size. So it's an Abe episode. We're probably talking about photography, and that's true. In this movie, the two worlds are 1965 and 1995. If you know the plot of this, the movie, um, did you, the DP of this movie shot in Volver. That's stunning. Uh, yeah, I, I can't. Like I literally that. can't believe that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Volver that's... is one of like four Almodovar movies I bought. Immediately, yeah, I knew. I was like, yeah. Wow, yeah, I knew, I knew you get a kick out of that. So I, had I to do put that in there just Thank for you. you. I Let's appreciate talk it. about Act One, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think there's it's a, important to note what there's a lot of shit that happens in Act One of this movie. Oh yeah, there's like, like two montages. Lot. Yes, yeah, yeah it's a lot. It does of like time. inside outside montage. Yes, it uh, does. It's like several things. Yeah, uh, it's kind of important to note that. This came out in 99. Um, Pleasantville came out the year before, and that went like bonkers, you know? Yeah. yeah. That was a very popular and, movie in a way. And I just thought it was an interesting note that while this is more touted as obviously a comedy, Pleasantville got like awards and shit, I'm pretty sure. Don't know one checked fact check me on that uh it's a, it's basically like a reversal of that movie because right pleasantville kind of reveals the cracks in the portrait of like the per- perfect like nuclear family and this kind of uh normalized reverence where we uh that america has for the specific picture of a family and it kind of denounces that. It says, no, people, be, be, be weird, be colorful. And this movie right. is about the charm and power of the good old years, which is funny. It I, is funny. Obviously, it's, it's not like 
all that. It pokes fun at like their antiquated thinking. They're like casual racism and stuff. But it mainly just wants the movie mainly just wants you to be like, be Brandon Fraser. He's polite and he's like wholesome, just like kind. And that's true. Uh, (laughs) That's just true about. So this is not reinventing the wheel, but blast from the past. That's the setup, right? Well, actually, the setup is like plot wise. Christopher Walken is this highly intelligent prepper, basically from the 60s. And he mistakenly believes that the Russians have dropped the bomb. Uh, I think on the day of like the Bay of Pigs or something. The Cuban Missile in, Crisis. Yeah. 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 When in yeah. reality, it's just a crashed military jet. So they have to raise their newborn in captivity. And Act One kind of finishes when he's like 35 years old and they, he walks out. Right. How um, old was he actually when they shot this? I don't know, man. He looks like he's like 20. <laughs> it's, it's like he, he doesn't looks look 35. pretty young. Yeah. But. I'll be honest with you, I've always been terrible at telling like the age of not just people in general, but mainly actors. <laughs> but Brennan because Fraser a- specifically. <laughs> <laughs> well, because his face is a monolith that shines through time uh, in both directions, <laughs> like a blast radius of yeah. a time bomb yeah, of he's some like, kind. He's like those squids yeah. from Arrival, but for beauty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just can't tell with them because they're always so beautiful, and it's just like, nah, get out of town. That like throws off my entire meter of like who, like what a human looks like. And right. I don't know, thirty seven. He's like so, twenty seven. He's like twenty seven, by the way, roughly. Okay, yeah, well, I just yeah, I think he comes out and they say he's like thirty five, right? Yeah, and then they make, they do a joke. They make about a it. joke about yeah. it. Where they say like, you look really good for thirty five. He's like, yeah. oh really? Yeah. yeah, I, 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 that must be there to. To for that reason. Anyway, please continue. It's also the years match up. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, like one of the things that in the bunker, their main form of entertainment is like reruns of like the honeymooners and such, uh, which I think is kind of apt considering uh, you probably know where I'm going. Their unish, their unfinished bunker is basically just a set. Right. It's yes, that's, it, is. it was a stage, a studio that what's that's what's perfect about it. It's designed to be concrete. That's what these things are. It's got like complete with like wall flats that you could just pull out or rent, you know, <laughs> which we show him doing at one point to construct yeah. a ceiling. I mean, that's yeah. why he's in L.A. It makes sense, right? Yeah, it does. It does yeah. make sense. Uh, and yeah, they have and the uh, shots do not shy away from showing that like kind of unpainted exterior wall like just the wood uh exposed wood windows that just don't have glass power cables that run across concrete outside of the exterior of the home if you want to you know call it that and uh so like the filmmaking actually shows the facade um by by (laughs) making it look like a set you mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, there's this kind of, there's a few shots they do uh, when they keep coming back. Well, at one point, Christopher Walken like puts his head through a window. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, they yeah. do a lot of really kind of cool. Like I don't know. When I watched it, I was like, there's actually intention here. Uh, they usually have like a window that, uh, like, they shoot through the window, and then there's usually small intersections of wood that like break up. Uh, the window and make it look like bars. Mm. Uh, I don't know what those are called. Uh, the small intersections like, ladi- of wood. like lattice. Yeah, lattice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have to be that small. I typically, yeah, it's yeah. not like. But yeah, they do that kind of stuff and they like restrict it. Um, the you know they make the composition make 
them look like they can't get out. Everything's prison-like. Uh, it's a dollhouse, yeah. But they don't do it in that loud of a way. Not that loud, Considering no. how the tone of this movie, it's actually pretty subtle. Right. But yeah. I think that there's some things that they're also doing that when you put it in conjunction with and then contrast to later in the movie, I think you see where they're going. Mm. Um, so in that way, I kind of want to look at like during this section, let's talk shot size. Uh, in what I saw is all the bunker is mainly compressed by the lens. So as we talked about that before, that means longer lenses kind of at a distance, which yeah. is kind of what TV does in three camera setups. It's distant, but zoomed in. There's no real wides in the bunker reality, really. Everything is basically a loose medium, like which means like a waist up shot uh, or it's a close up. And these longer lenses flatten the space behind the subject, which makes it look a bit more like TV, though they don't go so as far as doing like a straight up parody of a TV show or anything. Um, but if you were to say shoot these shots on a wider angle, you would have to frame for balanced compositions because pieces of the wood, chunks of the pattern on the wall would be the like natural breakup points, right? Mm, like when yeah. you're composing the shot. And so you'd frame for them. Like something they always say about if you're distant and wide, you have to frame for the room. You can't frame for the face or they you frame for spaces, not faces. Um, and that's true. That's just kind of how shots work. Um, if you're wide... You're not right up in their face necessarily, though you can't do that. It just, you know, it looks like how you shoot Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> you right. Know, like right, right, right. It yeah. looks warped. Yeah. Or, or yeah. how, uh, how every Inuritu movie looks in the last right. five, so you, 10 years. You, you typically don't do yeah. it unless you're one of those things. Um, yeah. This is a fascinating observation. Because like yeah. to, I watched that, noticed it, and thought, well, they actually need to make this bunker look smaller because it's, yes. it's stupidly big. It's like stupid how big it That's, is. It's very big because they yeah. knew that they had to, they wanted to break up them. They wanted to pa- have, have the camera go inside the space. So right. they built it like a TV show with false walls and rooms that could switch. Uh, you can tell that that's just how they had to do it. hundred um, percent. I just didn't even think of that because my observation, and I'm sure every film watcher's observation of this movie when they watch it is going to be, how much, how much fucking space did this guy have to build this bunker? Like, yeah, this thing's like a football a field. Hole. It's like, huge. It's a house. Yeah. A house underground. It's like they want us to believe that everything that a house, everything necessary for a house or, you know, structure with three people, living room, dining room. A yard. Bathrooms. A yard yeah. equivalent. Also, all of the a grocery store. The yeah. power that he drew. Like, this is, this would have taken him. 20 years alone. Oh, and millions of dollars. Like it, like so much money, even millions. in 60s money. Yeah. Uh, they they do explain that, by the way. They do yeah. talk about how he made a bunch of money, and then, of course, he's brilliant with investor investments and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He, all of his yeah. choices, they, they become super rich because he chose all the stocks. Right. You know? well, and Classic also, uh, joke the, about the past and the yeah. future. Yeah, yeah. Isn't Didn't Back to the Future do bits with stocks? What? Yeah, well... Yeah. Yeah, or they have it, the almanac. Yeah, the al- that's right. No, that's all sports stuff. That's right. But yeah, that he's also he used it. Biff used it to. Well, I mean, he mainly just gambled, but then he's seen as like a icon of business. I forget. I got to rewatch too. <laughs> 
Yep, that, that'll be the next time. That'll be our next batch. No, I know Let's what I'm doing that. later. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, getting back to it's less lens size in the section and more field of view. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a distinction because the field of view is more plainly to say what you see in the shot, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can be di- you can be very far away, zoomed in, vice versa. And lens size is a very specific thing that affects a lot of other things in the camera. But the compression... When by that I mean the idea of zooming in on a like a like a composition that you could form by looking at a wall, let's say, and then making sure that you zoom in closer so you don't see the edges of the wall. You know? Right. So even though there's this fake reality that exists and they're not scared of showing us, oh, these walls aren't don't exist, you don't see all the stuff. They shoot it like a TV show shoots it. It's fake. They're trying, like the uh, characters, the filmmakers are like, believe this is a house. Nothing's wrong here. Um, Yeah. Anyway, um, we can talk more about compression later. But um, I I cannot wait, sir. I'm I'm frothing at the bit. (laughs) Well, I think it's important, and a lot of people don't. Yeah, we talk about it all (laughs) All the time. We talk about long lenses on this podcast all the time. Uh, right, and, right, and this specific aspect of long lenses that they compress the image—that's what they, they do. They compress the image, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they make it feel flatter. Um, in like in the house, like on the walls, there's like bookcases, there's like hallways, plain walls. It's basically your house, but like the breaks, the breaks in the background are all over the place. Yeah, and the frame edges of the of what these normal sh- shots in a TV show would be crop out in like the middle of the wall or they in the middle of the hallway so they give this feeling that there's not really any way out like they're always boxed boxed in it's actually really subtle but i i like it only because i know it's not an affectation of like just how they shoot and how how they like shots because they intentionally avoid doing it later um, it's an interesting choice for a director to make because that's not the only way they could have shot exactly this premise no. in, in this situation. Like I'm thinking to myself, like what would any big time director do? And I can't think of many directors who would do this, you know what I mean? Who would yeah. like, who would try to recreate a television show basically, There's uh, a with USC this setup in our class, right? What was that one called in captivity? Yeah, that's right. And it was, it was like not the same premise, but it was about as wild, man. It was and guy, they shot it completely different. Yeah, it was a guy who was uh, basically uh, in a zoo for cyborgs. It was like a human being who was in a zoo for cyborgs. And then they bring him a girlfriend and like it's like, now you should mate. And they don't get along and stuff. But it was uh, like all elaborate sets that kind of look like this because it's all you can afford, you know? Yeah, well. Like these I, are not huge. They're big sets, but they're not sets you'd do to like shoot like Hook, you know? 100%. To the credit of this director of the short we're talking about, uh, mm-hmm. who I guess we can name. I don't know. Maybe we won't. Uh, <laughs> you he, have that power. <laughs> oh, well, his name is Mike Corbel. Great guy. Yeah. Uh, very talented director. He... He actually put together a set of that about that amount of complexity on like mm-hmm. a twelve thousand dollar budget. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. it, it was That's tough to do. Really incredible that he did that, and so it's fascinating to see a director who has way more resources to make this film mm-hmm. sort of decide to make it look like that. You yeah. know, and then to yeah. shoot it on a long lens so that it doesn't look 
Like he doesn't like reinforce yeah. he doesn't reinforce the bunkerness of it very often. No. Yeah. You know, and that's an interesting choice because I feel mm. like a lot of directors like imagine if like say David Fincher was making this film. You know what I mean? Do you think he'd ever give you a shot where you didn't feel the metal walls? I just don't I No, you'd of see course you, you you'd see ceilings. Yeah. Ceilings and you'd see like punch metal. drunk love. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It would you, be confined but like too expansive, belittling the subject. That's what he'd do with his Yes, he would. Even your favorite guy, Wes Anderson, would mm-hmm. would be on a wide lens shooting this exact kind of setup and reinforce the artificiality of it. Right? Wes like, Anderson on that's a, what he would do. Wes Anderson on a wide lens. <laughs> must, it must be Tuesday. <laughs> it must be a day of the week. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But that's, that's what he would little, do, right? That's yeah. a little Wes Anderson humor for all you Wes heads out there. <laughs> we're really doing broad appeal today. I love how how big we're making this podcast today. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to mention, which it, w- yeah. which will be, uh, I'll bring it up when it's more relevant. But just like in this section, there's a bunch of color. Obviously, it's a color film, everybody. But it's like the '60s, right? So everything is obviously pastel paint. The walls, the wall paper. Uh, that cover the house. Uh, there are these. When you think of 1960s, think Mad Men or whatever. Think of 1960s non-invasive colors like peach, pale blue, yeah. tan. Yeah, it's like a very colorful time. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, bright canary yellow. You know, these kind of. That's the what the house looks like. So imagine that. Cut to Act Two. Brendan Fraser's now arrived in 1995 or whatever. Um, so when he gets out inside the world, what we see is like fairly typically for daytime exterior, especially because that's kind of how LA works though. So it's kind of, they just embrace it. The outside world is gray and drab and covered in graffiti, you know, and it's not like colorful graffiti. No. Um, I mean, even when it's red, it's dull red. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I noticed there's not much red graffiti in this film yeah. or, or of many colors. They specifically go to blue. That's which interesting. I noticed. They, uh, ha- they have a thing with blue throughout this film. Watch all the blues in the act two. <laughs> it's just a, you know, have that, have that drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Another what a, blue. What a time you'll have. Uh, God, I yeah. love watching movies. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just noticed that. I just noticed there's blue graffiti all over this film. That's interesting. And there's a lot of scenes that are blue. I think blue is the inner, like, might have something to do with, like, the love arc, but I couldn't really discern it. I Um, I feel like they kind of, they kind of blew out this movie a lot. The skies are always blown out. Yeah. And if it's daytime, uh, it's, it's kind of rough to look at. Yeah. It doesn't look great. It doesn't look great, right? Uh, it's not. Sh- I think that's kind of intentional. There's nothing shot in this movie to look picturesque, mm-hmm. and it was hard for me to tell. And I don't mean that even in a belittling way. Like it's not shot in an attractive way, and no. I couldn't tell how. I couldn't tell if this is a director who doesn't like to do beauty photography, mm-hmm. or if it was intentional, like you're going to argue, or if this person didn't know how to make the movie look good. It was hard for me to tell. Uh, but your first observation has changed my mind pretty quickly, actually. Uh, just Volver, baby. <laughs> well, right, of course. Like now that I know the DP shot Volver, it's like, well, so he knows what he's doing. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, they all kind of know what they're doing, right. but the question is, did they pull it off, I right. guess? Right, um, Is it clear? Ultimately, is, is it clear? Is it a clear choice? Yeah. I'm just, I calls them like a season. Uh, <laughs> you'll also notice, though, majority of the exterior scenes in this movie are nighttime. Mm-hmm. Most of them, because it's about nightlife, it's about love, uh, and lo- night is the time of love. Um, and I don't know. It's uh, they're not very deeply lit. You can do that, but a movie like this typically wouldn't, like a comedy, especially in the '90s. Um, and by that deeply lit, I mean like as deep in space. Like it fades to darkness pretty quickly, and so the background becomes a bunch of um, like shining lights. Yeah, lights, you and, know, and smear. Bokeh yeah. is the name of the term usually if it's out of focus. But it's just the idea that you see the landscape through black white and colorful lights you know also there's a lot of neon and stuff like that that they use at nighttime especially reds and blues they got really Um, excited about that i thought that i think they wanted to they thought neon was like interesting i think they were like okay he would be fascinated by neon even though they don't have a scene in it bathing him in neon light and fluorescent light it would be something in 60 they wouldn't be as used to or at yeah, least a child would sense. never experience. Yeah. And that would be like, oh, okay. Now that means that that's him out at, like a stranger in a strange land, a fish out of water, right? Yeah. When they, uh, so I they, think that's what they're doing there. They do a driving sequence with uh, Alicia Silverstone, Eve, mm. and, mm. Uh, and Adam, right when he gets into her car oh, for yeah. the first time on the freeway. Right. Uh, that number one scared the shit out of me the way they were driving. It was like that's that, oh, yeah. that, that looks very unsafe what they're doing. Yeah. Um yeah. as a filmmaker, it looked very unsafe. And secondly, mm-hmm. the the they did a poor man's process, it looked like to me, or a process trailer, but it but For, it didn't yeah, look like yeah, a trailer. Did. It looked like poor man's process to me. It, I'm pretty sure it was. In a studio. And like the red neon light was it was heavy. It was like, wow, they're really doing a lot. That's of the that. tendency on stage because you, yeah. you know, you got a gaffer and DP, and they really want to dial it in because yeah. they have so much control. And usually, what ends up being um, the product of that is kind of a manufactured image. I think less is more on some of those stage days. But um, sorry, I think actually, do people I, know what poor man's should, process? That's what is? I was gonna say. We should define that. Uh, Poor man's process, just so everybody knows. So, like, whenever an actor's driving a car, with very rare exceptions in a movie, there, there's one of two things is happening. They're either in what's called a process trailer, which means they're being towed around in a ridiculous half car that's being towed by an actual car, and they're faking driving so that it can be shot on camera. That's one thing that can happen. Um, and that's how most of, like, the higher-end driving stuff is done. Um, the other version, and it's the version they teach in film school, is called poor man's process because you can't afford a process trailer. So what you do is you have a car on a stage, and then you key out the background. So you make like green plates, basically, right, behind them. And then you create the idea of movement by sort of bumping the car, with like physically bumping the car, and having lights move across their face. So it's literally being like faked in a studio, and that's... Uh, to create that illusion. And it mostly works if it's done right. You know, like mm-hmm. a lot of scenes uh, that aren't even projected versions, which is what they did in the old, old days. They would project the road behind the uh, mm-hmm. actors. A lot of scenes that aren't projected versions look very believable. This one mm-hmm. didn't quite, I thought, 
Do you agree with that? I didn't think the poor man's process looked great. It wasn't that great because they didn't yeah. have to do a lot of it. There was only a few scenes that they really did the poor man's process uh, that way, especially the nighttime mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. So they probably didn't have a ton of stage days and probably rushed it. That's usually what happens, right? That must be it. Or they had limited time not, with the actor not or enough. something. Yeah, they were like, yeah. oh, we should we could do this in three days and you know, because there's not many scenes. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, that means we have to just kind of crap out the process stuff because that's easy. But what's what's yeah, okay. interesting about that that way of doing this is that as a DP and to a degree the director, uh, you're sort of deciding what the outside world is based on right. what you're lighting them with. Mm-hmm. And then, ideally, the director and DP find plates in the background, meaning the the images that are going to be that the match. actual world yeah. are going to match. And I would say they didn't really in this movie. It's tough. It's tough to yeah. match. But it is. I agree. You ha- you can. There are ways to do it. So sure. you can do the work. Of you course. Know what I mean? Yeah. It didn't feel like uh, they did this time. But that's a. I think there's shortcuts. Life is shortcuts sometimes, baby. <laughs> It sure is. It sure There's is. There's more wisdom. I'm pouring my. I'm pouring them out tonight. Yeah, write that down, everyone. Life is shortcuts, baby. Hell yeah. <laughs> write that down. Wisdom from Abe. Yep. Um. Yeah. So there's this kind of emphasis on more monochromatic colors. Yeah. And just given like the highlights and the shadows we were talking about, nighttime and daytime, blown out or complete darkness, with the exception of stark color choices like neons um that's how we represent kind of 1995 especially in the moments where it's like adam you're terrified because things are different that's what they do right um it's weird to me there's a moment where adam sees the sky for the first time in his life Mm -hmm. and the lack of control that gives that kind of like highlights in all those exteriors that we're talking about in the walls. They even look like if you know the white walls reflecting the sun yeah. at noon, you know, like that look, uh, the, basically the look of boulevards in LA, just kind of trash. Uh, they frame in this moment, the sky, not looking at the horizon. Cause they're probably in the Valley or something. Right. I and mean, you can, Huh? They, they very clearly are, and it's it's yeah. actually a little surprising that it's not a set, right? right. That's they surprising. They went location for a lot of it, and that yeah. is tough, given that the movie that you've made so far, chronologically, has been entirely set. Right. So they throw us. It's like Truman Show, and that's how they want you to feel. They want you to feel like this is different now. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting that they chose to frame the sky because the emphasis in that scene is, I've never seen the sky. Uh, and they don't show the horizon. And that's always a thing that I think, like, it's weird to me in this movie, is that when you think about captivity and you think about these themes of, like, restraint and restriction and how you can uh, manifest that by visually as a filmmaker, I think of frame edges mattering a lot, Right. And usually when you show or want to represent something, like when you want to represent a river, you usually put up like a mountain in the photo or or a or a plane, you know, like a a meadow or something like that. Right. You need the contrast. You you need contrast. So like a sky typically needs a horizon. 
when you look at think of a beautiful photo of a sky right now in your head. Yep. Does it have a horizon in it? <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> My God. It seems obvious. They didn't do that because I'm pretty sure they were like, it looks like crap. And we're supposed to say, look at this beautiful horizon. <laughs> like, but it's not like to just wires. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's not funny enough to seem intentional. No. Right? No. Like to contrast this, this is, goes way back to a director piece we did a while back. Uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Ferris Bueller looks outside and says, how can I be expected to stay in school on a day like this? And then it cuts to it's a like bunch a cloud. of yes, it's like one cloud, and it's kind of a shitty cloud. And it was, and it's really <laughs> funny. Like it's like, oh yeah, like those are funny shots of clouds. <laughs> you know, a shitty cloud. <laughs> it I is. Like, it is a yeah. shitty cloud. They're like wispy little clouds. They're not good ones. <laughs> Adam Pro- Adam Ganser, producer of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, looking at Video Village. What like, is a shitty cloud? <laughs> Why is that cloud? Get that cloud out of there. Give me a new cloud. We can't make new clouds. Ah, fuck you. You're. <laughs> You're not a closer. Uh, they went by Aska. Yeah, yeah. No, but, it, but you know Oscar. what I mean? Like, it's like a wispy cloud that makes it funnier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The idea is that, like, they swung for something, couldn't necessarily get it, and they didn't, and that happens. Right. Uh, but they try to, like, in that moment, they, like, close the iris so it's less blown out for mm-hmm. that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, when he walks through, mm-hmm. just so you can see things, because there's more light now, because he's walking from ex- interior to exterior. But it's a moment where we're supposed to be like, wow. And it's just entirely unremarkable. <laughs> they Like, the color, so it, they, like, turn it more yellow and stuff. Like, they add in color in post, I'm pretty sure, some color kind of correction. Uh, but also, naturally, when you stop down the iris, it actually saturates colors. That's just an effect of lensing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought that that was a funny moment because it's just like, so it's pro- you <laughs> yeah. probably filmmakers are pretty good at covering their tracks. I mean, obviously no, not to the point of a discerning eye, but like usually casually people know something is off. Right. And it's just funny to look at moments where it's just like they failed and I know why they failed. <laughs> and then at the same time being like sympathetic for them, but also just like, you know, fucking make get good, bro. <laughs> get good, get blast good. from the past. It's my favorite thing. I love how that's everywhere to like right now at this moment in time. Get good. I just fucking love it. Well, it's the only thing that blasts from the past needs to hear from this old guy. That's that's for sure. Let's let them know let's talk how about, it is. Yeah, go ahead. Let's talk about depth. Yeah. Huh? Shooting yeah. Uh, outside in Act Two. The actors can like move now, like, and they do. The movie has a lot of motion and depth. For example, when Adam meets Eve, uh, which I think we said is Alicia Silverstone. Yes. Yeah. The location is kind of stitched together by multiple locations because the movement of the actors is so rapid. Like uh, these shots are playing better in wides, which reveals more open space, which makes your frame edges feel less restrictive because there's motion and ways out. Uh, that's just shooting outside. It's simple, but it feels different from uh, anything you have seen before in the movie because everything you've seen before has been very controlled and very restrictive, right? Yeah. And you're starved a little bit for motion, camera movement, you know, frames that felt like you could leave them. Right. (laughs) Right. Like there was Um, more than one way to exit the frame. You know? Yeah. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. So... And so he's kind of doing this thing where it's like the blocking of the actors are like labyrinths. Yeah, um, they walk around a lot. 
they walk around. They do. A lot of motions, like putting stuff in uh, trucks, a lot of just idle motion, but also motion in for, in terms of scenes. Uh, Brendan Fraser's almost always looking for Eve, and Eve, until the end where Eve is looking for uh, Adam. Right? Which where they do in like a... Because it's a romantic comedy, you know? Yeah, they do in like a taxi driver-esque montage, <laughs> right? Like, uh, Good Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> yeah. No, but like, so the like to reinforce this point, Brendan Fraser and Alicia Silverstone's like big conversation when they really set the ground rules of what their relationship's going to be, mm-hmm. they do it in a hotel lobby and they're kind of yeah. walking back and forth uh, at times when you would feel like this is when they should turn around and stop and like get stuff clear, and they're not doing that. Well, they you also know? do this really smart thing where they usually Eve is pivoting or orbiting, yeah, uh, uh, Adam, because Adam is fine with staying in one place. Oh, that's right? interesting. Oh, that's a great observation. And like everyone else moves around, even Troy, played by uh, Dave Foley, walks around him a lot at the the nightclub scene. Secret MVP of the movie, by the way. Yes, <laughs> kills it. He kind of. he kills it, and but also, uh, and I say this gently. Other than Brendan Fraser, he's the one that believes it the most. Yeah, like he's, he's really doing well. it. Yes, he's really doing it. Not everyone else is really doing it, but he is, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate. Yeah, you, Dave. Good on Foley. him, Dave Foley. Yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. Never had never had a question that you wouldn't nail it. Um. Yeah, uh, so there's this kind of, and also they introduce handheld and steady cam, like you mentioned. Yeah, they did. Yeah, uh, just to create this artificial motion. So the speed of the '90s is different, obviously. That's cool. Um, later in the movie, there's a dance scene. I mean, this is obvious because this is how you shoot a dance scene. Also, want to shout out to the swing craze <laughs> of the late '90s. It was, dude. It was more than the late '90s. This is five years after Swingers, roughly. Yes. <laughs> That's like, I mean, I feel like Swingers two was years after like the mask. Sw- Swingers got it first. Like they, that was the thing about that movie that they got that first. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and then I it, think the mask was really the one that gets the credit, though. Oh shit! The mask was before Swingers, wasn't it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think I'm just being a you're just being weirdo. hilarious. Uh, uh, just charming and affable. Is ninety four? Ninety four. Swingers. It's before Swingers. I think Swingers is ninety five. Is it? Sorry. I think so, dude. I'm looking it up right now. 96. 96. Woo, oh, my mask. God. The mask did we it. We talked about this. I talked about how I was like, it started everything as like a joke, but maybe. But maybe it did. I was right. Maybe there were five cherry popping daddies in the audience in 1994. Nah, there's something that predates all this shit. But... <laughs> I'm sure. Of course. Let's... But let's. It's the mask. Yeah. <laughs> Just tell tell everybody uh, it's the mask. <laughs> it might be League of Their Own, by the way. League of Their Own had a bunch of swing shit in it. Swing shit. That's kind of true. Yeah. That's kind of true. Yeah. Hey, swing craze movies. Yeah. Hey. Uh, they, I think they probably, I don't know. They all, <laughs> the swing all sounds the same to me. Like, I mean, it is all the, the same. Suit, it's suit the same. Riots yeah. It's in the voodoo daddies, you know. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. They all sound uh, like that. Yeah. But the way they shoot it and they use camera is obviously dynamic and moves along with the dancers. So there's choreography of camera and, you know, bodies moving in space. Uh, the dancing was good, are, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a cool dance, right? Actually, I thought that was my that was probably my favorite scene in the movie up to that point. Uh, well, it's because you kind of feel the uh, you feel Adam flexing the most. right? Well, and it's like I want him to be 
good Which at is something. Very satisfying. You know, like I, I yeah, because he's kind of a twerp. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's doofy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> doofy he's, twerp. He's a doofy twerp. Yeah. Yeah. Even uh, the introduction to the club itself is this like roving wide steady cam. Yeah. I wouldn't call it like boogie nights, but it does the thing and it backpedals through the space to emphasize kind of the chaos of the nightlife. My basic idea being that there's idle motion within frame and the frame camera's perspective is literally moving in space a lot in act two. Um, Adam's first night is spent in a hotel and I'm kind of switching to color now. True. Uh, the sequence is interesting to me to, of, to note because they switch set deck on you. Before he goes to bed, he has an interaction with the bellhop where the scene's point is how kind and overly polite Adam is. It like puts the bellhop off. Right. 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 The curtains are drawn and they match the teal green that Adam's wearing. On the reverse side, on the bellhop side, the pink doors and the hallway wallpaper complement the 60s palette, like this pink kind of yeah. floral. Yeah. If you can imagine it. Yeah. Uh, and then he wakes up the next day and the sun is bright. And the, there's no more colorful curtains. They have been removed. Also, some of the art on the wall has been removed. And just just in general, the white walls just look more bland. And the whole point of that scene is Eve calls him and he's about she's about to like chastise him for being too trusting, basically. So meaning he um, thought the hotel was one thing, but it was actually a different thing? He anytime he, he I think it's that he he wherever he is, he's this infectious kind person yeah. that like brings this warmth and sixties color palette with him. But he's constantly during the boot movie reminded about the harsh reality of the nineties, and that slaps him back into a place of but you exist in this world now. And th- those two things have to confront and culminate and find a synthesis before we can stop this movie. Interesting, right? So, so again, that's the kind of thing that reads to me as a mistake. But uh, you're charitable. The frame, yeah, maybe I'm charitable. But the frame, like they chose the frame this it. way. You're right. Uh, they they like, stuck to an axis to specifically show these things. They removed art deck, uh, set deck, and stuff like that. I got the feeling it's- that was actually in a real hotel. Uh, and I'll tell you why I got. Yeah, that. Yeah, I think that was location. Yeah, I mean the reason I, I mean I've shot in a hotel, uh, and I can tell you that number one, you never have as much time as you want. Uh, and number two, shooting in a hotel room means you're shooting in a tiny little place. So like it, it, everything has to be, yeah, it's very tiny. Yeah. Everything has to be tight and, uh, carefully orchestrated a thing I discovered in, in hindsight in the film I used the hotel room in. Mm-hmm. And that felt true here, you know, where it was like, they didn't really have the space to show the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's interesting then that they would also adjust the art like that. Because I feel like the only reason to yeah. shoot in a hotel ever, because hotels are expensive to shoot in. Like, they're not cheap, yeah. you know? So the you only, have to buy a hotel? Or- <laughs> yeah. Well, more than that, you got to shut down a whole floor a lot of Usually times. Usually, like, like a floor. Yeah, yeah. and that's not, that will not be cheap. So the only reason that you would do it is you really like the art decoration. Yeah, you like the walls. Yeah, you like what it and is. And the yeah. layout. That's right. And Yeah, so it's interesting that they changed it. I mean, they didn't change the walls. Well, they just took stuff down right. and flipped curtains. Yeah, I guess that's not that big. You're right. That's not a big change. But they like look at the angles when you see yeah, that yeah. section. Yeah. And they chose to stay on a specific. It's very brief. Sure. Maybe I'm wrong about this. I just noticed it. I'm not. Um, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. just. It's a fascinating observation. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And then for the like, what I'll say about the rest of Act Two is like, well, there's two bits, and they both involve Eve. Because then I want to talk kind of about the synthesis point, right? Where we have these colors that more or less represent these people um, or these world views and uh, how they kind of synthesize. It's an interesting choice that her house is obviously like, it's not like it, like if this was a consistent rigid format choice, visual strategy, Yep. it's not like a piece of trash covered with graffiti, right? Because she represents the nineties. <laughs> right? It's not that I'm not saying that it's obviously not that it's actually the reverse. It's a, it's kind of showing like I'm, it's in a strange, like, symbolist symbolism way. Like, it's saying that the color palette and the walls are the same as the bunker. Right. Literally the same color palette. Yeah. Uh, it tells and us. And it's like saying, I'm ready for you, Adam. Right. Like, it's this weird kind of amalgam of the two. But they really, they loudly say it, I would argue, because the walls are fe- that are featured in her place are canary yellow and kind of this other wall that's a light tan. Uh, there's also a lot of lamps that are from the 60s in her ha- home. Uh, the only mi- like color that they're really missing from the bunker is like that lime green wall, right? Yeah, I mean. Uh, that they love to match Christopher Walken with. It, it clearly telegraphs that she is the right girl for him before the, yes. before the plot tells us that. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it all look like a set, mm-hmm. honestly, like that. Pl- it, it probably isn't. I would believe that that is a house in LA. Yeah, though. me too. <laughs> it's giant though. Like it's a giant it's, house. Yeah. That must be bit way bigger than you can even see because those rooms don't look enormous, but you know that they have to be in order to get the shots that they're getting. Um, which is the problem with houses. Uh, on location. You can't take out a wall. Um, right. Okay. The last bit is kind of what I was talking about. Where Well, there's uh, this scene where Adam tells Eve that she's his best friend. And it's like pretty along in the story of them falling in love. Right. It kind of signals to Eve because the next scene is the nightclub scene uh, that she, she is in love. She admits it to herself. Um, so it's not like they're starting to fall in love. They sneakily, uh, well, sneakily Eve fell in love with Adam. Adam was always in love with Eve, but, um, (coughs) excuse me. But in the, um, in the scene that that happens, it's exterior. And it's also uh, a portrait of like Americana because there's like a clothesline with laundry out. Yeah. Yeah. And the the behind them is a the wall of a house, and it's just this very strong pastel blue, which matches what they're wearing. Like his clothes and her clothes are all shades of pastel blues. So even in the even through the neon light uh, nightlife of the '90s and the drab daytime grays that still govern the rest of the world, we take moments to show kind of like the home stage like this is where we're at home with the two love interests or in the bunker that they show this like very controlled color coordination of the 60s and it returns for those scenes the reason i think that is important it's because we have shown in this movie they have shot daytime exterior all the time and they've shown it to feel frankly uncontrollable 
Yeah, basically. But here they are in a scene in the middle of the movie where we're trying to signal the love interest thing is happening. Like, that is now equally as controlled as any shot in the bunker on a stage. They really went for it, and they shot it well. You know, they brought the whole show. So, to me, this is as indicative as it gets in terms of saying they know what they're doing, and they're doing it intentionally. Okay. Because, uh, yeah, because they're argument. like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's just they can do it. They just chose not to. I mean, to be clear, uh, they, they are picking... S- Look, they are picking locations that are thematically and artistically connected. Like they're doing a good job. Like for instance, they had that scene where he's right. rollerblading, and the one where he finds the ocean. Which, by the way, that was one of my favorite scenes in the movie too. Like when he sees yeah. the ocean. Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, yeah. because they had a horizon. So that's to your point earlier. There's a horizon <laughs> with the ocean. It's like, yeah, it's fucking awesome, isn't it? Anyway, they mm. had the scene in that uh, in that you know graffitied up section of Venice, which is right out of like literally right out of Tony Hawk Two. If you've ever played Tony Hawk 2, like they have that exact yeah, I've, spot, I've seen. that that exact spot, which I thought was cool. Yeah, and the yeah. reason is because the graffiti and the color of the graffiti, like it's a gray concrete space it's with graffiti. All, it's yeah. awesome. And uh, take a look at that graffiti, by the way. It's blue. Is it? Uh, okay. In this movie, yeah. I'm gonna check that out. It's spray painted over. Uh, in yeah, dude. Love it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sorry. I, I just wanted to hear some bad religion while he skated out to the ocean, but they yeah, did not accommodate. I'm, I'm tr- <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude. The, dude the, he, he, he is shredding. That's for he's sure. He's shredding. Uh, yeah. He's, yeah. He's definitely. He's doing quite a bit of shredding. He, I mean, he's actually. Uh, he's using rollerblades, but you know. I mean, you can shred in rollerblades. Uh, in fact, I believe our fascination with the term shred comes from a rollerblader. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack on this movie, incidentally, was uh, oh. terrible. Yeah, terrible soundtrack. Oh. I know. Love it. Yeah, I, I like it, it too because it's like, wow, this is a this is a time capsule. Uh, it really is. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. It's like, it's like non iconic. Yes, Clueless. Yes, it is. It's like all the good things about Clueless. They picked the wrong bands from the same time period. The the bands that showed up after yeah. because they were late yeah. or something. I don't. And know. And they were studio yeah. produced and gross. Totally, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't didn't so care for it. Let's talk about Act Three. Let's just get our move on. Uh, yeah. So mainly in this movie. The culture of the 90s is seen as a regression, right? Yeah, basically. It's kind of the same joke bucket as idiocracy. Life now needs the charm and politeness of the 60s to be saved. The old saves the new. John Spartan saves Lieutenant Huxley. Wesley Snipes dies at the end. <laughs> you, you, you know. Uh, so obviously there's going to be a... This is going to be another, like, the middle path is the right path movie. Uh, he just needs to get out of the insane 60s mindset of how the world works. And she could be like kinder and more trusting, I think. So this usually makes filmmakers go, we should mix these visual strategies together, right? That's what the narrative is saying. Right. And guess what, Adam? I can't wait. uh, They do. (laughs) (laughs) They do it. Uh, The big one you probably notice is that even before Eve starts... Like puts on the show for Adam's parents, like where they like slowly acclimate them to the nineties. It's a very short scene. Act three, by the way, is like super short in this because it's like, and then they do the thing. Um like romantic comedy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like they have this little bit where they're like, 
let's tell them to come out in a few months just because we need to like have a plan so that like Christopher Walken doesn't immediately just say like, no, my son has turned and like run back into the uh, bunker. I'm not really sure what they think is happening, but they think of this thing as slowly acclimate them to the nineties. But even before that, where she's like putting on a performance and like a costume, she's literally dressing in sixties colors and blouses. This is wedding singer. You yeah. know, if you watch Wedding Singer with Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler, they do the same thing with blue and red or rose. Right. Um, Adam wear in this film wears leather now and she wears wool now. Um, so that's kind of a way in which the amalgamation occurs. Also, Near the she end. looks yeah. the best at the end in terms of how they dress her. Yeah. Which, I which that's think- just rom-com conventional wisdom not always right? yes but not always I, I think this is one of those cases where the filmmaker had the I, the end in the in mind at the beginning with her like yeah, that's how I, I felt that could be right yeah because her outfits up to that point were really really bland you yeah, know there it was 90s bland yeah. it was like black jeans and like blouse. and like a top yeah blazers and stuff I don't know like a salt a solid color top yeah you know like that was it was it was the grunge, baby. Uh, but it wasn't even grunge. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't stylish grunge, at all. But it's like the influence of like we just wanted like pretty basic colors, and uh, we didn't really care about. I don't know. Fashion's always wild. I can't ever describe fashion. Never take any fashion opinions from. Well, me, again, ever. if you're casting Alicia Silverstone, uh, I'm. I mean, you know, I can't say this for sure, but I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. That most people who cast her are casting her because they th- they think of her as Cher, right? Like mm-hmm. that's that's the idea. And lo and behold, at the end of the movie, that's who she is. You know what I mean? So I kind of imagine yeah, yeah. that I imagine they work backwards, but I could be wrong. No, uh, no, I, that makes more sense. Yeah. That, like because she becomes like fully 1960s, right? You know, which is what was cool about <clears throat> Clueless is that she had all this like timeless blending of styles, 60s and 90s. That's you true. Know. They have a mod art phase. Yeah. is a huge emphasis in that film. Um, Which is a rom-com. Yeah. Why? Of course it yeah. is. Yeah. Who, who's saying it? Everyone, fucking nobody. Not in this podcast. Everyone? Yeah. <laughs> I got your back, bro. Yeah. If they're saying shit, I'll, I will knock them Thank out. Thank you. I'll knock out everyone. You're going to be my second when I die in a duel. For you. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Bring the pistols. Yeah. yeah excited about that. Woo! We're going to die. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, near, near the end of the movie, Adam and Eve must convince uh, Adam's parents to come up, obviously, and the shot sizes become wider. They reveal more of the space. Like, literally, we're seeing the bunker, not with, like, new eyes, because there's not a lot of, like, they don't do a whole sequence. But just in the sh- the brief shots where we see them, like, all right, we're going to go up now. Uh it's like you see for the first time the height of the frame allowing for like all the way up into the ceiling, the interior lighting hanging, uh, the frame and edges include basically a way up and the bunker has for all intents and purposes uh, opened up. We get uh, also a shot framing the new Weber place because they like in that time they made a home Yeah, and it's got green it's green pastures. Uh, almost identical home. It's, yeah. Yeah. Which would, t- if I, man, if I was Sissy Spacek, because, you know, her, her arc in this is that she gets stir crazy 
and goes full carry. You know? <laughs> she, well, uh, I wish that's what her arc was. I mean, yes, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, but it's like, yeah, she's she starts drinking and like to me, it this that would be horrifying. That would be like a hell. Absolutely, right? is that you finally yeah. get out of thing and you're just like, I can't look at that wallpaper anymore, right? So I, they, I just a just a word of a word of uh, empathy for Sissy Spacek's character. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't know what to do with her after they do the one beat. The one beat for her is, and That's she can't true. hang on. Like she's having a hard time. She's losing it. And then she just keeps <laughs> yeah. losing it basically for 35 years, but never progresses in the process of losing it. Just the same amount yeah. of, man, this is tough. I just, well, and, and all she does after that is I just need to get out. I just need to right. get out. And they just, we have redundant beats of that because it's just her will against, you know, Christopher Walken. Well, again, against sort of the tides of fate that have swept her up. Like she, you know, she can't. Yeah, she's a victim I mean, here. Uh, they ha- yeah, I don't know if that's not lost on them. I think that there's something that they're saying maybe about the 60s. Maybe they are. <laughs> I mean, again, I kept thinking of Mad Men when I was watching this film and being like, wow, they right. did very different ideas I about mean, the 60s. Uh, they're very polite, but they're totally destructive inside. So. Well, yeah, um, there's that. And also, poor Sissy Spacek is asked to do some comedy beats that are just really not well thought out. Uh, one of them was... true. She's like looking in on her on her husband after he had a heart attack, and then she gets the drink cut like caught on the closing door. Remember that bit? Yeah. And it was yeah, like yeah. what? Like it was just one of those bits that was dumb, and like she didn't feel comfortable doing it pretty clearly. And mm. they were like, "But she needs to be funny because she's losing it so much." And I was like, "Nah, man. Right? Nah, nah, man. Nah, man. Nah, 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 <laughs> nah, nah, nah. nah I, I, uh, yeah, that's uh, astute. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh." Where was oh, I? I'm sorry. Oh. I, yeah, you're. I think you're wrapping it up no. here, aren't you? Yeah. No. There's just a uh, little odds and ends. If you're following like the the like the amalgam bit, it means it's taken from both buckets. Um, so there's sweeping shots to reveal the house. Uh, they abandon the static camera as well. Fairly, uh, like in the scene where walking is like sizing his yard because you know he's gonna build a new fucking bunker right. uh you know like we get these kind of motion shots nothing is very telephoto but nothing is protect uh particularly wide it's kind of w- what it sounds like it's in the risk adverse kind of middle place <laughs> yeah. uh so yeah the you do get this feeling of glory from the expansiveness of the frames. Like they're very alone in whatever space this is. There's no neighbors or anyone, which is kind of funny to me because it's like, yeah, definitely take these recluses who don't understand and have probably very problematic thoughts about how society should go. Let's definitely put them in the middle of nowhere. That would be right. That'll go great. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I mean, it will, if I do not put those people in wider society for a while, right? I mean, if at all, I don't. I, I didn't get the feeling like either of them would be able to handle it. They, you know? there's no way they can catch yeah. up. They're too old at this point. Thirty-five uh, years. But, you know, get out of here. The movie is not trying to make a statement at the in the no, final no, no. scene of the movie, right. uh, but it's just funny to me. So basically, what I'm saying 
is blast from the past is like basically the wedding singer <laughs> but it's also kind of demolition man <laughs> in terms of the visual strategy like it's about this middle place it's about this amalgamation of visual strategy it's about the past and the future and what's the way out because they're both flawed by supporting each other and picking up each other's flaws much like this movie much like in the way that most rom-coms shoot Demolition Man's a rom-com is my point. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, it's a lot of movies, obviously. Uh, and I think that there's, you may not have noticed it on any of these titles I'm mentioning, but there's like real work there. It's a lot of moving pieces and choices made quickly and the departments uh, have to do them regardless of budget or like what the content is. And they work their ass off to do a thing. So that's cool. Yeah. That's all. Uh, we're going to be calling this this uh, phenomenon in movies the Demolition Man synthesis from <laughs> yeah, this yeah, point yeah, forward yeah, yeah. the demolition man synthesis <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. because every like really every movie does some of this because uh yes. because of the three it's hollywood's old bag yeah it's a three-act structure yeah. thing it's like first act is one thing second act is a, is the opposite of that thing usually yeah and third a, act B, a prime yeah rondo format yeah. is how i've heard it in music third act is the synthesis to. of the two Something like yeah. that, yeah. I mean, and you've you've yeah, made no, this it's... point, and it's great. You know, it's really good. Yeah, it's. Uh... I mean, it's not my point. It's just an idea that's out there, and people use it, right? Uh, it's going to be your point if you decide to stick with the demolition man synthesis as the term for it. Oh, you mean the DMS? That... <laughs> it's yours forever now. <laughs> you did it, baby. <laughs> it's yours forever. <laughs> Just you give did it an it. acronym, hey, Abe. son, and it's yours forever. What? Hey, Abe, this was great, and I hated this movie, Abe. Yeah, you, do, do you want to talk about that? We don't for have like to. A bit? We can. <laughs> I want to know what the, what it, like, is, what are the specific reasons? I'll you tell you why. It, so, uh, I, by the way, so not a bit. That was you. Really, you did a great job showing the work the okay. director did, because it does redeem the film in my eyes a little bit. Uh, oh, wow. it no, it really does because I didn't think about those choices. I was really hung up on the fact that the director, in my mind, didn't really decide what Brennan Fraser's character's problem was. Now, the premise of the movie suggests his problem is that he's locked back in time, so he's got this old way of doing things. But what they what it ends up being is that he's uh, that he's socially inept and sort of not very intelligent about what people mean when they say and that he's a he's a goober you know like he's a goober and those aren't actually he's pretty smart well he just no, doesn't he's know. book smart he's not social smart and i guess that fits the that right. fits the bunker thing but like right. uh his problem is not just restricted to what would happen if he was in a bunker like he's actually kind of a weird alien socially and emotionally that over time becomes a normal person. Uh, but because of that, I feel like you're every scene with him, you don't really know what you don't know what kind of jokes they're going to be. And the jokes don't always work because it's like, Oh yeah, it's, he's not sixties weird. He's just weird, weird, you know? And I feel like he didn't always know. So he kind of sold it with like the, you know, thumbs up winking thing. Uh, and that's not his fault. That's a director problem in my opinion. Yeah, that's true. I do think there's more to the character than your pain. A hundred percent, there is. A hundred percent. He's. I see where you're going. It. It's like pretty one note, and there's and an unclear note. 
there's no room for it to grow the comedy in turn yes like i would say i think that's romantic comedies though they're not really comedies i mean they can be are they they're not comedies like the wedding singer you know i think in the 2000s we started to get like amalgams of the rom-com like we got like raunchy rom-com that's true we got like more funny apatow right around this time actually and it yeah yeah, yeah, in like 2005-ish, you know, like... Um, yeah, if you go back to like the late 80s with things like uh, When Harry Met Sally or whatever, which, by the way, is not the first rom-com. Those are also... Yeah, no, those are those are great examples uh, out of my theory. But I'm thinking of like, I don't know, the Matthew McConaughey kind of... That's all late 90s, rom-coms. right? Late 90s, early That's 2000s. That's all late 90s. Yeah, yeah, that era was not like... Jo- the jokes were like accidental <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's not the jokes are just like the discomfort of two people who want to fuck you and know? it's not super it's not funny. really like jokes right it's not super There'd funny be a, a a comic relief friend that's you know four weddings and a funeral kind of it's, jokes. but it's a writing problem ultimately right like uh, like yes. again i come back like i most of these movies i think a fair counterpoint to them is when harry met sally because when harry met sally is not an expensive movie it's not it's actually a very simple movie in so many ways and the thing that makes it great is the writing. You know like the two actors are good mm-hmm. but the writing is really good. You know and and a competent director like Rob Reiner is very competent. Of course. Um and of it's course, funny though, but that's, you're laughing yeah. at it. You know like you laugh at the the bits when there's when they show up you laugh at them. In this movie you're like uh okay like, you know was okay. Like, that was a different time. 10 years like, it was only 10 years later. That's true. Yeah, it's like 80, late 80s. Yeah, right? um, I mean, and forgive me. I, I understand that not every rom-com is funny like you laugh at it, but this movie <coughs> wanted to be funny, I think. It wanted, and yeah, there's there's like set deck jokes right. and stuff like that. Christopher um, Walken is uh, very often he's a mad scientist. off the leash in this. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. and so they're doing bits where he's like catching fish, and it's like, I don't know what how to describe it. Like in incidental comedy. Right. You know? It's like it's like accidental or incidental. Just like okay. Yeah, this is a weird thing to look at, but that is a lot of movies too. It's it's you're right. It's it's called not being funny. The jokes are not um, the jokes are there, but they're not super well written and they're sort of reliant on Brendan Fraser to be a funny guy. And and he yeah. is a funny guy. He's a very charming guy, but like, he's not Will Ferrell. You know what I mean? Like, like, well, right. but see, that's what Will yeah. Ferrell can he's do for you. He's not Jim Carrey right. in the same right. era as well. Those, right? yes, those two guys. That's what they can do for you. Is you can put them in a story like that and give them a bit that doesn't even totally add up, and they're just funny guys, so they make it work. And I feel like Brendan Fraser is just a good actor who has a good personality and is funny with with good writing. So he can't make yeah. it work, you know. Uh, Brendan Fraser is Brendan Fraser is a very good, like to me, like he's got a lot of he's got physical comedy chops. Yeah, and he has like some sounds that he yeah. does that are very funny. Uh, you know, I'm looking at you, Monkey Bone. You know, uh, <laughs> you know what he's and, like? He's like Jimmy Stewart. What? Like he, yeah, he's, he's similar. Like, yeah. He's a Jimmy Stewart a great, type. Yeah, you know. He's kind of uh, bu- like he can bumble with the best yeah. of them, but he can also do the like. Have you seen Bedazzled? Mm-hmm. I almost brought that up. I was like, "That's a they, that'd be a funny they, movie to br- do." They put 
They put him through the ringer, man. Uh, he pulls it off. That movie sucks. Um, don't get me I wrong. I think that's how I feel but, about all his movies, except for Encino Man and The Mummy. Uh, right, but he's not like an improv comedian. Well, and I feel like know? the scenes only really would have worked for an improv comedian. Because that's because stand up took over. Comedy. Totally, man, a hundred percent. I just want to point out that uh, that that's that's my critique of the movie and why I didn't enjoy it as much as I could have. Because it's like this is not a good this is not a good use of Brendan Fraser, you know, uh-huh. or Fraser, whatever. Like I think there's a good version of him. We've seen it several times, uh, and he can populate any role that's well written that requires him to be. Funny and charming and athletic and everything. He's got a lot of tools for sure. as an actor. He's, he's got a lot going for him. Um, by mm. contrast, forgive me, Alicia Silverstone is pretty rough in this, right? Like, this is not a good outing for her. Uh, am I wrong? <laughs> yeah. About that? Uh, neither of them have many, th- like you mentioned, not have, they, the script isn't like... It's not bad, but it's nothing to write home about. Right? Like it's that. It does the job, and there's some jokes, and they're half competent. Like they didn't make me laugh, but they didn't make me. The script has some bad. Um, I guess the script has some bad decision making moments. She, yeah, she, she. I we know she's capable of better. Yes, uh, but that better is type. Um, Yes, share is singular. Yes. In a way, right? I that think is her energy, a performance that stands alone. I agree. It's sort of like you know, it's comparable to it to me. It's it's a uh, it's what mm. I liked about Zoe de Chanel and New Girl. Like I think Alicia Silverstone has a similar energy, which is like a little bit of like, oh, all right, like there's a little bit of that energy to her that's very funny and charming, and mm. when used correctly, it makes a, an incredible character. Like Cher was an incredible character. There's a reason we love that movie so much. It's because Alicia Silverstone's like kind of half committal vibe fits it. You know, like it, it nails it. Whereas interesting. That's an interesting read of that movie. Cause we've talked about that. And I movie. love that movie. I, I definitely, Oh yeah, for sure. But, uh, the, I would characterize like what I like from about share from the like absolute, like, headstrong like strength to a fault i agree with that like the fact that she's like it is this way i I agree with that i like that i do not care that's what i like about the character of Cher. what i like about the performance of Cher is alicia silverstone's sort of like uh the valley girl but it's not valley girl like she's dumb it's valley girl like she's not that invested in a lot of these bits and i it works i mean they do make her dumb they they literally make. but that's not who i think alicia silverstone is that's not what you're saying that part of the trope is the important part that characterizes the correct i see what you're correct and in this movie uh (laughs) she's not really connected to a lot of the decisions the character has to make Partly because I think they don't always make sense. Like, I think this they, this character yeah. flip-flops 50 times for reasons that are like, well, what does she actually want? And I think s- s- Sneaky, uh, they rom-coms, didn't know. Y- rom-coms usually use serendipity. That's like a theory I have that I'm, I'm tired of all the serendipity. Right. Uh, right. Especially in this kind of stuff. But uh, rom-coms typically do that, right? Because they say, like, we keep meeting here. Or it's like, ah. Oh, now I have Kismet. to like work with this person. Yeah. yeah uh, and in this movie, it's very transactional. True. From the get go, they like stay, they say like, oh, you don't like me. That's fine. Uh, but I still need your help. Do you think you can help me for money? 
and, <laughs> and by like, money yeah, we mean do baseball that. And cards. That, like, <laughs> yeah. Let's you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and then that's that's the that's now how the timeline of the movie works is until the job's done. I think to which is transactional and not very like interested in what love would want. You know, in terms of like, this is not a movie where they could go like. All right, and then they have a falling out, so they don't talk for like. Which is such weeks. a key trope, no, though. It's such that. a key trope, and yeah. you're right about that. Uh, again, yeah. counterpoint, and I I understand they're not the same era, but uh, when Harry met Sally, the way they get around the problem in that movie is that Meg Ryan doesn't understand her own feelings. Like that's who that character is. I don't understand my own feelings. That's true. That's a lot more. I'm in denial about of that. A complex thought. Well, that's the only yeah. way it works. You know, I mean, they give in f- credit to the writers for at least they do give her the self-realization arc in this, which they is do. that I was didn't I, I was denying my feelings because I thought it should be a certain way. He's like a homeless person. And I can't have right. that. You and know? she just. Which is a real basic ass kind of suggestion. But they give her the moment where she says, that is stupid. Yeah. I'm going to go run and get him. She, um, it's just like partly writing. It's that scene where she decides, I believe him instead of after she just called the psychiatrist is like, why? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's acting crazy right now. This actually would reinforce the thing you thought before. Mm-hmm. So that's not well done. I, I feel like. And, for, and again, I like Alicia Silverstone a lot. Uh, I feel like in this movie, she didn't really seem those transitions together. Like, I didn't get a feeling of, like, yeah. this is who this character is, and everything that comes out of that character is going to stay consistent throughout, even if she grows. Whereas I did get that from Brennan I Fraser. Think... That's, you know, I think you may have a point as to why all the kitties aren't running out to the rafters and screaming, Blast from the past. Well, a lot of blast. From I the mean, past. maybe a lot of these great rom-com performances, especially for women, they have a very like the actress has a really grounded, strong sense of who the character is and mm-hmm. everything that happens to them. You know how they're going to feel about it because you know who they are. It's why we like pretty woman so mm-hmm. much. You know, I mean, that and Julia Roberts was like, wow. But like, but she was really grounded in that movie. Like you knew exactly who she was. You know, and uh, and all the funny bits in it. I'm going to put funny in quotes because it's, it's okay. Felt very authentic to her, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, have you seen... Have you seen the... the What's the Batman she's in? Batman and Robin? I've seen, seen it. Batman and Robin? Uh, I, but I also... I feel like that's just horrible casting for her, right? Like, I don't see her in a, as a superhero. That's just not who she is, right? Am I wrong? I'm just no, no. I mean, not nothing is. You're it's, not wrong because nothing is right. But about it's like that casting movie, Owen Wilson Arnold as Batman. It's like I don't. Yeah, I don't see that man. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Uma Thurman's good in it. She, she makes a meal out of poison yeah, ivy. She does their best. She can. Isn't she is. Is poison ivy's in that? That's right. Yeah, Rob, Batman and Robin. I'm getting yeah. them all. I'm getting them all. No, mixed you did. You anything. named all the right things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but um, she, she ain't good in that. Is what I'm saying. She, Silverstone ain't. Good I mean, there's in a that. reason I think she like disappeared because I think that like Cher is like a really good character for her. Obviously, she's an extremely beautiful, uh, likable person, 
but mm-hmm. like that doesn't make her a good actress, you know, like and we don't have those follow up roles that prove her range. She's a little bit like right. Jan- Denise Richards, you know, or like uh, I mean, I can, there's a thousand Den- people like Denise this. Richards was never like self-aware funny, though. Are was you she? sure? I mean, uh, was she in like a scary movie or something like that? She's that been I in scary movies. I don't know enough to talk about. She's this. done stuff that is because I think these are the parts she could get. I mean, Starship Troopers, yeah. but like that, you Wild don't. Things. Here's the thing: Starship Troopers is like Big Lebowski, casting Tara Reid, right. or casting right. uh, like non-actors in general. Well, Tara um, Reid's not a non-actor, but I get I get what you mean. Yeah, but it's like they're used as a type. Well, that's right? who she they're is. They're not used. That's at least a one-dimensional person. Yeah, so you're arguing that Alicia Silverstone is a little bit one-dimensional for, like, for like they there's not she can pull off the multi-dimensional aspect of this character because I wouldn't say that this character is particularly. She didn't uh, bring complex, anything to so it. That's. Probably true. Yeah, she didn't bring anything to it that would have made it complex. You know, yeah. like uh, and free and like I, I'm not saying what she can and can't do. Like I I don't know her. I've never worked with her. Um, I'm saying the way she was cast here suggests that to me. Um, uh-huh. but you know, like there's been so many stories about actors being <clears throat> typecast and I mean it's not finding them. One of Cher's affectations is like in Clueless is like the one dimensionality of that character. Right. So like, I think it's absolutely um, for comedy, especially for comedic beats, but probably in general, I would argue. Yeah. She, uh, that's, that's the type that, she will play that's, i mean that's what she was getting that's all uh for a reason because that was a home run but i worry it was a little bit of a napoleon dynamite problem where they she's playing it well up they were after. she actually had a really strong skill and uh that and then she was sort mm. of typecast because of that skill but they didn't keep writing roles that use that skill right so like it didn't yeah. work you know yeah yeah that's right i think that that's right because like you look at that, or that's a possibility because, like, you look at a like, what is Blades of Glory or some yeah. shit? Yeah, whatever that one he was in. You know, yeah. like he's still doing Napoleon Dynamite, and you're like, oh boy. Well, because that's I think they tried to do things that weren't Napoleon Dynamite, but were adjacent, and it's like, oh no, Napoleon Dynamite was a really perfect usage for him. Yeah, do the voice, yeah. do the voice. <laughs> it, see, it's like two things, right? Some people get typecast, which I I do think Alicia Silverstone got typecast. And they can't. I think that's probably they part can't of it. break out of that because nobody will let them. Right, that's a thing. But then some people yeah. they're actually really good in this one. Like there's a perfect role for them that uses them exactly the way they should be used, and highlights their skills. And then when they're put into adjacent type roles, they're not as good in them. And it's like why? And it's because oh, this one director understood this actor and how to use this actor. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say. That's right. I think it's a combination of typecast, uh, being slightly adjacent, the uncanny valley of you know, character, uh, and probably no one, no one's talent is endless. No so. one's talent is endless, but yeah. she might be a, a Mark Wahlberg. You know, like I think Mark Wahlberg is. What does that? Well, mean? <laughs> I'll tell you. I think Mark Wahlberg can be fantastic with the right director. Like you know, Scorsese has proven. I get a punch drunk love. Way. Was he in Punch Drunk Love? Like, no, no, no. I'm saying like 
like Adam Sandler. Like there's a he had, he had like a new echelon to his game. Is that no, what you're no, saying? Because like I don't think that Marky Mark is ever not doing Marky Mark. Like he reminds me a little bit of like Steven Seagal. Well, Steven Seagal is a lot worse than Mark Wahlberg. Uh, of course, uh, of course. I, so Mark Wahlberg has shown me that there are times where he can be a great actor. Uh, and I'm specifically thinking of The Departed and a couple other roles like that. Uh, but but The Departed's mm-hmm. the one where it's like, oh, Scorsese proved this Departed. guy can do it. Yeah. You know, he can, he has something when he wants to. But not range in the way that you're I'm not talking about, about range. I mean, Departed. I'm okay. talking about, so like then when you put Mark Wahlberg in roles that are not like clear, that are not great usages of that talent, he comes off kind of not, you don't believe it. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't work. Shooter. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. And I think Alicia Silverstone might be similar in that way. The Infinite. <laughs> I didn't see that, and I was not gonna. Is it The Infinite? Or I is think it it's just infinite. infinite. I think it's just I haven't infinite. even seen Uncharted yet, because Ooh, I, I do too. That. But I'm also like, man, they really changed what these characters are with this casting. Uh, are they going into tombs? Is there treasure there? Well, I right. It's like the movies need all Tell have their own know. identity, and I'm all for Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is what Uncharted is. You know, Ooh. yeah. I just want to know if there's puzzles. <laughs> is he gonna draw stuff in his little journal? <laughs> is he gonna figure out a puzzle in stone? Is it gonna be history-based puzzles? Is he gonna is he gonna press the stone in the wall and then the thing's gonna happen and stuff? I mean, if we were still at cracked, Ooh. at some point we would have made a sketch about like the pe- like some ancient race of people that are building all these traps and puzzles. You know what I mean? Like they're so stupid. Yeah, that's the stuff that yeah. must have happened for like yeah. I don't know. We didn't do it. Fictional. We probably would have done like a fictional yeah. stuff that must have happened, which is anti. Which is not what know. that. Pre- it's not the premise <laughs> like of that movie based. Yeah. yeah, that's not the. They would just make a new show yeah. of it so don't listen to me but like yeah the we would do some way like but not really because that's not the way it was going <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the, no it was it was little. going the bad way is where it was going <laughs> there was the way where we were sketch failing. in 2015 yeah. in 2015 there was no money in sketch i beg to differ we spent with like, your aunt you're antiquated we yeah, spent we a did. lot of money in sketch in 2015 which you shouldn't have. <laughs> and, and and as we learned... That's how jobs uh, go away. Not a wise business decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah. It's funny. Anyway, I, I'm not trying to shit on the movie f- just to be mean, but I like mm-hmm. I, because we're talking about directing, uh, I, I do think the director struggled to make the characters coherent and clear. Like, I think, I think he struggled there. Uh, and it, it, it's like, you know, you want to blame the actors a little bit, but... I always bring that stuff back to the director because the director has to say, yes, I believe these transitions and they work for me. And uh, I don't think they did uh, in a lot of cases here. Yeah. You know, I think uh, I think it was one of those rom-com. The 90s, you know, had some of these. I'm trying to think of them, but it just I don't know. Oh, there's a bunch of them. Um, My best friend's wedding. There, there's you a know, bunch of them, uh, and if you list them out, like I feel like you can. A lot of them were premise first. That's true. Um, yeah. You know, like instead of character and like love interest first, you know, I mean, I'm going to argue like the Matthew McConaughey's and the Sandra Bullock ones, you know, those ones She's were like. She's a really good actor by comparison though. 
that but the whole point or like the julia roberts yeah. ones like the whole point is just let's let them be the like handsome and charming and then let them right. be handsome let and charming and then let the face yeah. the faces hit hit the other faces let their skulls mash and it's just like sometimes there's like yeah but this one's unique and a little funny because it's about like this crazy concept of you know being transported into the future. I like to. I, I feel um, like Miss Congeniality is a comparable film in the sense that the premise of it is not explicitly a love story, uh, which Blast from the Past is not explicitly a love story. Congeniality, the one where she's an FBI. Yeah, and she agent. goes to the pageant. That's a fun yeah. rom com because that's kind of what it is, right? It's basically a rom com, right. and uh, she's fantastic in that movie. You know. Uh, yeah, she's also fantastic. And while you were sleeping, another very dumb, similar to this actually premise, right? But not not her best rom com. I'll tell you which I'm ready. Her uh, best rom is it Demolition Man. (laughs) (laughs) It's Demolition Man, baby. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I think uh, I think we can probably go up there. Right? You did it. Finger guns to you. Abe wins this round. If anyone's (laughs) counting, and I hope you are. Me too. I hope. Thank you for listening to me meander about my stupid no, thoughts. No, this is great. And just Abe splain all over you. <laughs> I don't. I don't like the all over me part, but I enjoy just, the Abe splaining just so much. <laughs> That's it. Fuck this. <laughs> This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you.